Welcome to the Family Life Christian Center podcast. Here we aim to help you fulfill your highest calling in Christ by strengthening your relationship with God, your community, and yourself. We hope you enjoy this week's message. At this point, I've been teaching now for over a year. Uh, I tallied it up. Last year, I taught 26 times, which is more than I have taught. I taught more last year than I have taught the rest of my life prior to last year. So I've really been uh, putting in the the time when it comes to to learning how to communicate and teach. So it's been kind of fun. But something I've learned about myself over the last year is that while Every teacher kind of brings in their area of expertise. You know, if someone is a, a lawyer, then when they teach, they really focus on like the legal aspects and the, the wording of, of scripture and how that works. If someone is a, is a coder, an artist, you know, like their, their field will influence their perspective of the word, which is such a cool thing that a lot of times the word really can be a mirror to us and we can learn about ourselves and, and who we are as people is reflected back at us through the word and that every person who reads the Bible gets a different perspective of it in some unique way, which is just cool. But I've learned about myself that one of the things that I bring to the word of God every time I read it is I cannot help but read it as a story because more than any other profession or thing that I can do, the thing I feel like I am most well-trained at and familiar with is story. So today, I want to take an approach here and, and talk to us a little bit about the Bible as a story and what that means and how we are meant to read it and go through our day-to-day life with that perspective. So I'm sharing just that unique perspective. And to start, I want to teach you a little bit, uh, something a little bit fun about your brains. So here we go. Story and science. Those are my two things. So we're going to do story science is what we're going to do right now. So I'm going to show you a couple images and I want you to just tell me and think for yourself, what do you think you're looking at? So let's get image number one up here. Pretty simple. Anyone want to throw out a guess as to what we're looking at? A tree. That's a, that's a good safe bet right there. Probably thought of a few of those. Anyone else? What are we looking at here? Broken window, what a bad antenna? Is that what you said? A weather vane of some kind? Okay, a one-legged peacock. That's a fun answer. All right, let's look at another one. Those are good guesses. All right, what are we looking at here? A faucet. Interesting. A garden hose. Okay, interesting. Let's go to the next one. The tail of some creature. And another one. What is this one? Nuclear reactor, volcano, those sound pretty good. Yeah, all very interesting. The nostril? Did I? <laughs> okay. All right, so here's what's interesting. We're all looking at the same pictures, right? These are all lines and blobs and little dots. We're all seeing these images, but all of us kind of have a different understanding of like what this could be. As we're looking at these images, our brain is going backwards in time, thinking about everything it has ever seen and is trying to figure out what this thing could be. It's drawing connections and associations, all these different things. Now, let me, let's go back to the first image. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit more information. I'm going to tell you the story of what's going on in this picture. The picture is a spider doing a handstand. Just a sick hand plant. Bam! That's what's happening right there. And you go, oh, yeah, of course it is. He's, he looks, I mean, his form is impeccable. Look at that extension. That's incredible. And it's like, oh, okay, okay, that's what it is. We're looking at a spider doing a handstand. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Natalie actually got this one right. This is a submarine uh, going over a waterfall. <laughs> so 
all of a sudden there's danger involved in this one. It's also a little bit comical. It's hilarious, but now it's like, oh, that's what it is. And then this last one, what could this be? What could this be? Oh, this is the first person view of a ski jumper going down the ramp. That's the crowd. Those are the skis. And he's about to take off the ramp, right? Oh, and now, <laughs> and now as soon as I've told you the story of what's going on in each of these pictures, our brain can finally make sense of it. So this is a scientific thing, but I want to tell you why this is very interesting. Is because now that you know the story, these meaningless lines and blobs, now they have meaning. Suddenly, I know what I'm looking at. I have an understanding of what I'm seeing in front of me now. And the picture hasn't changed, but you have. The story has changed. The story in your head has now allowed you to make sense of something that was otherwise confusing and meaningless. So this is the power of story in our lives. A lot of people would even say that the way in which we perceive the world is through the lens of story. Like when I tell you about my morning, I would say, well, I woke up, uh, you know, feet hit the ground and I started getting ready for the day. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a character and I'm on a journey and I'm going through something. If I just said uh, the room temperature was 68 degrees, my floor is dark brown, I have furniture it is also brown. Like, that's not a story. I'm just telling you facts and information, right? The facts and information are the lines and blobs. The story is the purpose that those things serve. It's why they are, why are they a part of the story? If I just tell you information, it doesn't matter unless there is a story. And uh, even with like uh, robots, robotics has had incredible leaps and bounds in terms of telling a robot how to perceive the world. And a major breakthrough and teaching robots how to perceive the world was teaching the robots to understand stories. Isn't that very interesting? It was like a, like a literary linguistic genius that was able to help figure out this issue of robotics, saying you cannot understand what the world means or why anything matters unless you know the story. So why does that matter? Let's jump into Numbers uh, 14, 1 through 9. This is out of the ESV here. So we've been talking about this a couple times in the last year. And this is a story of Joshua and Caleb, the Israelites, they've left Egypt, they made it across the Red Sea, all across the wilderness. And the whole time, the reason they did all of this is because God says, I've, I have a promised land for you. I have a home for you and I'm going to get you there. And that's why they left Egypt. That's why they went through all this trouble with the Pharaoh. That's why they wandered through the wilderness. And now finally, they see the promised land. We've seen it. They sent spies, they take a look at it. Turns out there's giants there. And the, yeah, so it turns out there's giants in the land and saying, okay, well, there's our promised land, but there's these big mean baddies. And if we try and go in there, we'll die. So I guess the story's over. So jumping into Numbers 14, this is what the people said. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, what would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Basically, it would be better if we just died. This is the end of our story. I wish we died sooner, because then we wouldn't have had to have all that extra suffering just to get to here and die, right? That's basically what people are saying. Picking back up in verse 3, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Story's over. Game over. We're quitting. This is it. We're just here to die. This is it. 
And then Moses and Aaron, their current leaders, fell on the face before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. I'm pretty sure that is the correct Hebrew pronunciation. It's a very, it's a very melodic language. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of an expert. <laughs> so the idea though is Joshua and Caleb are saying, hey, we saw the same thing that you did. That's the important thing here. Joshua and Caleb, they were with the spies. They saw the exact same picture. They saw the same lines. They saw the same blobs. And what they said to the congregation of the people of Israel, they said, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Next verse, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, these giants, for they are bread for us. Oh, I still love it. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And we talked about this before, about eating giants for lunch. They are bread for us. These giants, we are going to eat them, and they are going to make our bellies nice and full, and then we will become stronger, and then we'll take the promised land. That is really the message that's being said. And if you are what you eat, and you eat some giants, you are now a giant yourself. All right, let's go. So I'm going to love that every single time. So, But we're coming back to this because, again, the idea is, let's go back one slide here. In verse 7, so again, they were the spies. They saw the same picture. They saw the same lines and blobs. Uh, And he says, uh, sorry, one more forward. Well, anyway, so what happens here is that he's saying that Joshua and Caleb saw the same lines and blobs, but they didn't forget the story. The story was God is going to lead us out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. That's the story. They know how this story ends. God has told them. God has given them a vision of what this looks like when it's over. And when it's over, we're in the promised land. We're not back in Egypt. And we're not dead in the wilderness. And we're not dead at the feet of some giants. We're in the promised land. So Joshua and Caleb are not sitting there being, oh my gosh, I wonder how this story is going to end. And everyone else who saw the same picture said, oh, I see these lines and blobs. What they mean is we are going to die and we should have died before, and we're going to die in the future, and let's run as fast as we can, and then maybe we might escape all this death. We're all looking at the same picture, but the meaning of the picture depends on the story in their head. So when Joshua and Caleb said, no, we are going to take this promised land, the picture is the same. There's still giants in the land. We are still like grasshoppers in their sight. That's still true, but the story has changed. What does that same picture mean? What is the significance of this picture? The significance of this picture is this is going to be that big final climactic moment before the heroes win their adventure and do take the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, they did not forget the ending. They know they will be victorious, and that's why they're able to be brave. It's because we know what's on the other side of this fight. So the picture didn't change. Or Sorry, the picture didn't change. They did. The story in their head changed. So they saw giants, and their two visions They had the choice between two visions, two stories. One is, all is lost. The other story is, this is just act one, baby. Let's go. We're going to make it. And that story determined how they behaved when they they found those giants. They thought to themselves, I know how this ends. And even if I don't know how we'll get there, I know where we'll end. Sure, things look bad, but the story isn't over yet. And I know it's not over because I know the ending. And this isn't it. 
So let's move to a different verse. Hebrews 11. This is out of the message. We know the story of uh, the sacrifice of Isaac, right? Abraham is bringing his son, his only son, that he has prayed like crazy for. That no one ever, The son himself is a miracle that he had one kid, yet somehow Abraham was still promised that, that the nations would be blessed by his offspring. So he knows, I'm not just going to have one offspring. I'm actually going to have a lineage that is going to cover the entire earth. And right now, the only way that's going to happen is through Isaac. So what Abraham knows is I have Isaac and I have this promise from God. He told me how my story ends. At the end of my story, the nations are blessed through my offspring, even though I only have one. So when God says, go bring your son up on the altar and you're going to sacrifice him, Abraham goes, hmm, that's contradictory right there. What you're saying here, what you're asking me to do feels like it's going to interfere with the end of my story. Because if I lose my offspring, we're changing the ending. But at no point does God say, I'm changing the ending of your story. God just said, this is what I want you to do right now. So let's jump into here. This is in Hebrew. So now this is later on as they're talking about that story. But this is what's important. So Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. uh, Faith operated powerfully in Abraham for when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. Even though he received God's promises of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son. For God had promised, through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. It didn't even just say, you know, you'll have some other kids. He said, no, through Isaac. Not through anyone else, not through the kid that I will replace Isaac with. Through Isaac. He knows that that's the story, but then God says, go and sacrifice Isaac. Why would he say that? I don't know. Abraham must have been horribly confused at that point. But Abraham in that moment said Abraham's faith made it logical to him. He reasoned that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. By him laying him on the altar, he was pretty much already gone. And then when the ram in the thicket was found, we now sacrifice the, or we swapped out the sacrifice. God has provided an atonement. Uh, which is, again, a beautiful picture of just Christ in itself. It's the same idea of, in a way, he was dead as soon as he hit the altar, and then as soon as the sacrifice was provided from God, he's back from the dead. He's mine again. So Abraham, though, again, it was logical to him. I know how the story ends, and let's just for a second, let's have a little fun here. Let's come up with the now director's cut, extended, alternate ending to the story of Isaac's, the sacrifice of Isaac. Abraham's up there, son's on the altar, goes on up. I don't hear any ram in any thickets. Okay, God, you said, I know how the story ends. This seems like it's contradictory. This may be a problem. Okay, we're going to go. Is, yeah. Oh, there goes Isaac. God, was this what we were supposed to do? And God's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like 30 seconds too late. I was playing GameCube with Holy Spirit. I... I was distracted for a second. You, you, Isaac's gone. Okay, I'm sorry. I was, that's not how it was supposed to play out. But I, yeah, we still have to get that ending correct where you know, your lineage will be blessed through Isaac. So yeah, let's, you're right. Let's bring him back from the dead. And Isaac's back up. Thank you, by the way. Great test of faith. You pass. Sorry about that. Uh, and on with your life. Like Abraham knew, <laughs> even if that's what's happened, God is still not going to change the ending because God told him his ending. It's going to come through Isaac. And it can't come through Isaac if he's dead. So he's like, I can face this trial with certainty. It's not even faith. It's logic. Like, it's not like a, 
He doesn't know how, but he still knows God, and he knows what's going to happen. And when you know how your story ends, you can be faithful in your chapter because you know that the ending's not going to change. So because he knew the end of his story, it allowed him to be faithful and walk out something difficult in his chapter. So let's move on to the next thing. We're going to move into Matthew, verse 26. So now we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is a cool guy. I love this one. This is fun. So Jesus now, this is after he's lived his life. Judas is about to betray him. They had the Last Supper. He knows Judas. The things are going to go south from here. Uh, But Jesus also knows this is how it's supposed to go. This is my story. Jesus knew from the very beginning how his story ended. He knew from the very beginning. So now this is right before he's betrayed. Uh, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Pause for a second. I turned 33 this week. And I'm going to go ahead and say that when I turn 33, that's when I have to start being an adult. So I don't have to yet. I want to talk about this for a second. Can we just picture for a second? Like, okay, guys. Jesus is over there. We're all going to go in there, and we're all going to arrest Jesus. We're like, which one's Jesus? Oh, let me kiss him, and that's how you'll know who's him. You're like, you're going you're gonna to kiss him? Yeah. How else are you going to know it's Jesus? I mean, you could point. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, imagine if, let's pause for a second. Let's imagine me and my buddy, we're sitting on a bench. This would probably be Kenny. And if we're just looking at a crowd of people, and I'm like, yo, dude, I really like that guy's sweater. Which guy? The guy in the really cool sweater. There's lots of guys in cool sweaters. Which one are you talking about? Uh, hang on a second. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, uh, that guy. Which one? The one I kissed. What? I kissed him so you could find him. That's the one. That has nothing to do with the message, but I just could not. <laughs> I think that's the funniest thing, being like, let me kiss him so that you know which one I'm talking about. Like, it's Jesus. He's famous. Like, I... <laughs> I think they'll figure it out. Oh, gosh. Sorry. That was, that was just for fun. Uh, <laughs> so let's get back into this. Next verse. So once Jesus was kissed, greetings, Rabbi. Mwah. This is the guy. <laughs> then Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Because he knew his story. Do, you're playing a part in this story. Play your part. Do what you came here for. Uh, and then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus. Since they saw the man who was kissed, they knew it was him. Uh, wiped the smooch off his cheek and arrested him. Well, with that, so jumping back in, this is now we're back to the Bible. Matthew 26, verse 51. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So at that point, again, same lines and blobs. So now, Disciples looking at this saying, okay, Jesus is being arrested. The story that's in my head is we, you know, back to back, we fight off these attackers. We escape, you know, narrowly, you know, with our lives. But then we continue on and continue to preach the gospel and spread the word for another 10 years. And he has a story in his head. And if that's the story is escape, continue, survive. We have more things to do. Then that makes perfect sense. Shipping, there goes an ear. But then Jesus said, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Good advice. Next verse. 
Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? There is a pre-written ending to this story, and this is not it. The one where we escape, that is not it. So the scriptures have already told us how the story ends. And he's saying, look, 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 you don't have to fight. You don't have to do the sword thing. It's not that we don't have the option of escaping. It's just that that's not our story. And because I know how my story ends, I know what I'm supposed to do here. And what I'm supposed to do here is get arrested. Even though they have escaped captivity several times before then, and they have escaped prisons and all sorts of other jails, he's saying, look, we could do that again. We've done it before. It's not a matter of we don't have the ability to but it's just, that's not our story. And that's not what we're supposed to do in this chapter. So Jesus knew that. So now Jesus knew that the story was not escape. The story was atonement. And I'm not talking about the 2007 war drama starring Keira Knightley and James McAvoy, uh, which is a pretty good movie. The story was the cross. The story was that kind of atonement. So it was that ram in the thicket kind of atonement. He knew how his story ended. He knew how that story was supposed to go. And it involved, it involved looking at the same picture that everyone else did and saying, but what this moment means is different when it's held in, in, in the context of the story that's being told. So this is what's important about having a vision. And when you talk about a vision, again, like vision is not always uh, vision in the business sense is always future focused, right? I'm having a vision of the future. And when we talk about prophecy too, a lot of times it is thinking about the future, but a lot of times it's also present or helping understand the past, whatever those things are. But in this case, vision is just being, I have this picture of how the future is going to be. And you think about other examples in the Bible too, where I, I, I sampled three right there, but you also think about Gideon, you know, rise mighty man of valor. Like you're going to go and win this huge war. He's like, no, I'm not. But God says, no, this is your story. And when Gideon knows how the story ends, he's like, all right, I guess let's go for it. And I'm able to walk because I know how this story ends. You think about Moses of Moses is like, I have a stutter and I'm hiding. And he says, no, you're actually going to lead the people out of Egypt. It's like, I don't know how to do that. He's like, no, but that's the ending. So you just do your part right now. And I, you'll eventually get to the ending that I'm, I've written for you. And that allows Moses to be faithful. You have Noah saying, hey, this big flood's going to come. He's like, I don't even know how to build a boat. It's like, I'll tell you how to build a boat. Don't worry about that. Just do what you have to do in this chapter so that by the end of the story, you've done what you've had to do to get us to the ending that's already been provided. Or David as well. You're going to be king of the Israelites. Okay, well, right now Saul's trying to kill me. It's like, yeah, but he's not going to. Why not? Because then you can be the king of Israel. Like it's, it's almost like you have this, if you know that you're going to die in a certain way, at a certain time, in a certain place, then I could be fearless my entire life because it's like, no, this is not the ending. Like I know my ending. It's when I'm, you know, 85, surrounded by my loved ones, uh, you know, wearing something super handsome, like, you know, whatever it is, like, imagine that I know for certain that is how it ends. Then I can go out and fight bears with my, you know, bare hands because it's like, I know how my story ends. I don't die in the bear fight. I die at the end. So then you can actually do things in your moment with your ending in mind. So this is a theme all throughout scripture. When we have this vision, when we're aware of our story and the story that we're in, when we're aware of how it ends, it allows us to understand our place in the story. And that is the story is what gives our place meaning. So there's an importance from vision. There's, there's so many things. There's a reason why, let's say this, vision is seeing the end of the story. 
or seeing how things turn out in the end. So Henry Cloud has said that human brains are designed to create what they see in the future. Did you know that? Did you know that when we see something in our heads, that oftentimes that is the thing that we create in our life? He said a lot of times when you have a clear vision in your head, you have a hard time not creating the thing that you see in the future, which, side note, is the problem with fear. When we're afraid of what the future could be, and it's going to be terrible, these same Israelites saying, oh, there's giants. Well, we better run because I'm afraid we're going to die. That same fear would have led them to their death. What's funny is that 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 fear created for them the outcome they were afraid of because that was their vision. Our vision was we're going to die out here. Then that's exactly what would have happened unless Joshua and Caleb rewrote the story or reminded them of the correct story. So that's the importance of having a vision for your life, because we create what we see in the future. Henry Cloud has also said, um, no, he said a few other things. He said, this is part of the reason why great golfers, they see the shot before they hit it. They see exactly how the club's going to hit the ball. They see the arc it's going to take. They see how it's going to turn, and they see how it's going to bite the grass as soon as it lands, and they're going to see which direction it rolls into the hole. They see the whole thing first, then they create it. So it has to happen in the mind first. And same thing with CEOs. There's a reason why CEOs, they're always casting vision. Because if we don't know where we're going, if we don't know how the story ends, then what are we supposed to do right now? We might all be trying to tell a different story with a different ending, and it's all just going to be this big tangled mess. We all have to know the end of our story, and we all have to be working the same direction. And also, too, what if I told you that no matter how hard you try, no matter what you sacrifice, and no matter how much you suffer, you are going to lose. That is how your story ends. What if you knew that was 100% true, that no matter what you did, you lose, you die, you suffer? How motivated are you going to be in your day-to-day life to try and make anything better? You said, no matter how hard I try, I lose. No matter how much I suffer, I lose. Then why would I do anything at all? And that, my friends, is called nihilism. I don't recommend it. It's the same idea of if you have a bad vision for your future, then you're not going to be very motivated to create it. In fact, if you do try to create it, you're going to be creating the thing you're afraid of, not the thing that you actually want. So the story in our heads and the story we believe that God is telling through us will determine how we act in this chapter and which ending we are moving towards. Because we might all be seeing the same thing. Someone may say, well, uh, I just lost my job. That's the chapter that I'm in right now. I just lost my job. Or my wife just left me. Or I'm completely broke. My loved one just died. Or my business has completely failed. Whatever it is, all these things where some people might say, well, I guess this is the end. But somebody that has a vision of the future, that has heard from God about their future, that knows where their story ends, goes, this is not the end. This is just a chapter. And God is still working towards an ending that I know is good. And how do we know the ending is good? Well, let's look at a few places. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things... My wife just left me. In all things, I'm completely broke. In all things, my loved one just died. In all things, my business failed. In all things, God is working it for the good of those who love him. 
How does that happen? Every story you've ever heard has a moment where the hero is down in the dumps. Everything is bad. They've lost. They're defeated. They're broken. They're on the brink of death and destruction. But then, but then, it works together for their good somehow. They learn something in those depths that allows them to pick themselves back up with a new perspective or new strength. They learn something new, which allows them to come back up and conquer what previously conquered them. God worked it all together for your good. This is not the end. This is just part of the story. This is just the end of Act 1, but there's still Act 2. And Act 2 has a completely different ending. Let's look at something else. 1 Peter 5 in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's just a chapter. God, the author, the one who is writing the story, is still working it all together for you. After you've suffered a little while, which doesn't mean like you probably won't suffer. It's like, no, suffering is kind of guaranteed. But after that, that's not the end, that's the middle of the book, but then after that, God himself, the author, writes a new story, writes a new ending, writes the redemption arc of our hero, and he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Do you want to be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established? Yes, that happens on the hero's journey, which includes overcoming some trials and challenges. These are chapters. They are not the end. They're just a chapter. And I can be faithful in this chapter because I know how the story ends. Last one, Jeremiah 29, 11. Anybody know this one? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Future might be the ending, the long term, the far away. In that far away place, you can have hope. Because I have plans to prosper you in that faraway future, the end of your story. You're here in chapter 6, but in chapter 20, oh my goodness, if you knew what happened there. And what's happening in chapter 6 is actually still an important part of the story. So don't change the ending. Just stay faithful in your chapter because you know how the story ends. You know it's going to work together. And so how do we operate in those? Operate as though the ending is still true. And Jeremiah 29, 11, by the way, is even more powerful in context, if you want to read that verse in its context, even more beautiful. Uh, but now I want to talk to kind of takeaways here for a second. So whenever you're facing a challenge, whenever something hits you that's unexpected, you thought things were going to go a certain way, they went a different way. You thought things were going to be really great, they're not that great. Things went bad, the relationship went, was, went south, the job fell apart, the deal fell apart, everybody left, whatever the problem is, when we hold this story perspective in our head, which is, again, how we make sense of the world, the meaning we derive from the things that are happening to us depends on our story. So we have to know our story. So as we are navigating these things, when we hit these challenges, David, let's get those three points up. Number one, when you're faced with a challenge in whatever chapter you are in, consider the ending. You have to know where you're going. You have to know how your story ends that God does plan to prosper you, not to harm you, that you will leave, a, leave an inheritance to your children's children, that you will you know, fill the earth and multiply, whatever it is, whatever promises of God, the ways that he describes the futures of those who are obedient and follow him. That's also true. That's how the story ends. And that's funny the case when people say like, well, I tithed for two weeks and nothing happened. It's like, 
you didn't get to the end of the story. Like, you barely made it through the prologue. Like, there's more to that story. You're saying, well, you know, I tried showing grace to my wife after a fight, and, you know, it didn't do anything, so I stopped. You didn't get to the end of the story. Like, you have to do it for a little while. After you suffered a little while, God will then establish all these other things. It's like, but you stopped reading the book after the first 10 pages. You know, you got to know the ending of the story. Okay, we get there. It's probably going to be everything between the front cover and the back cover is mess. So once we get through the mess, we end up better than we started. But we have to be willing to tell the whole story. Walk through it chapter by chapter. And what motivates us in our chapter is when we know the ending. So consider the ending of whatever you are trying to do for your life personally, for whatever area of your life you're trying to improve. You have to know what it looks like when it's done. You have to have a vision. Because when you have a vision for that, that is what you'll create, whether you like it or not. Step number two, consider what came before. Oftentimes, my guess, has anyone in here ever faced something difficult in your life between, you know, birth and now? Anyone ever gone through nothing? Wow, good for you. That's amazing. Actually, I feel a little bit bad. There's so much you have to learn. <laughs> but yeah. So the, again, the idea, though, that we all have gone through hardships, and that's why I love Songs like we sang this morning of great is thy faithfulness. This is not the first time I've faced a challenge. Let's consider the last couple of things that when I faced that, I thought, oh, this is the end. I'm never going to make it. What's going to happen? And God got me through it. And in fact, when I look at my life now, it's better than it used to be. So I'm actually being able to see my history as a testimony of God's faithfulness rather than just stuff I forgot. Like, even when it comes to this building, we're going to have a lot more challenges ahead of us. I am certain of it. Because the reward for solving big problems is bigger problems. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe I just solved a really complicated thing at my job, this thing no one's been able to figure out. I figured it out. Cool. Well, we have an even bigger problem, and you're the guy who knows how to solve big problems. So you hop on this bigger one. It's like, ah, I just thought I was done. So even where we're at right now, the story of family life and becoming, you know, and getting to the living room, building this new space, impacting our community, full warehouse and lights and events and structures and ministry and all these amazing things. We are in chapter one of that story. This is still the beginning. And when I think about the giants we have eaten so far, the challenges we have faced, when we said, well, first you have to find a building. Look, we've been looking for years for a building. We've never been able to find one. And we said, nope, God gave us a vision. We know how our story ends. And for our story to end in a new building, we have to find one. So let's be faithful in this chapter and go find us a building. We looked at like 30 and we found one. And then we said, okay, well, now we have to draw these very detailed architectural plans for that. Well, then you got to find an architect and there's that time crunch and it's really complicated. But we know how our story ends. And to get to the ending, we have to have plans. So let's get on these plans. Because that's what we can do in this chapter that will, that will get us closer to our ending. So we got those plans done. Village approval. Last time we tried to get approval from the village of Carroll Stream, we got like shouted out of there and cussed at. Like that was a long time ago. Thankfully, that was not our experience this time. They were actually quite lovely to work with. But, they, but the same thing of just, oh, don't even try. That is a dead end right there. Village of Carroll Stream, you think they're going to give up taxable land so that you can operate there tax-free as a nonprofit? Yeah, right. What, what organization in their right mind would make that kind of deal? Guess what we did? We got village approval. We fought that giant. We ate it. We went after it because we know how our story ends. And for that story to end, we have to get village approval. So that's what we do in this chapter. And we had to raise over half a million dollars saying that's impossible. We haven't raised half. A We've never had, you know, a half of that in our entire history as a church. Well, that's what we have to do to get to this ending. 
So that's what we're going to do. And that's what we did. And then we got close to the end. And we thought, oh, final hour. Now we need $30,000 in three days? Impossible. There's not a single chance we could do that. Okay, well, in order to get to our ending, we got to raise 30000 in three days. So let's be faithful in this chapter. And what happened? We raised $125,000 in three days. That's a little bit better. So again, because we knew the ending, every time we saw a new challenge, we said, bring it on. You can't kill me, giant. I've killed all your younger brothers, and I'm going to eat you too. Like, what are you going to do to me? And also, the promised land that you're standing in, it belongs to us. We will be there. God has given us a vision. And if we know how our story ends is we're in that building. We're a thriving community. And between here and there, there's probably going to be another thousand challenges that get bigger every time. And you know what we're going to do when we hit each one of them? We're going to eat them. And we're going to get stronger. And we're going to grow. And we're going to become better. God is going to shape us and establish us and strengthen us through each one of these challenges. But we have to press forward because we know the ending. And whenever we're hesitant about, oh no, this is a pretty big challenge. Let's not forget our story so far. This is just a pattern again and again and again and again and again. Great is thy faithfulness. What he has done for us the last hundred times, he will do it again for us in the future. And then the last thing, consider your next best step with the ending in mind. We know right now, and we have (laughs) with absolute certainty, there are more challenges to come for this church. In growing of any kind, there's always going to be challenges. There's going to be difficulties. Something is missing. Something is broken. We need something we don't have. Whatever it is, we might say, okay, well, that's a problem in this chapter, but we know how it ends, and we know we can be faithful to it because God has proven that in our story up until now. We know how our story ends, and it doesn't end here. So we can be faithful in this chapter to say, what can I do right now in this season, in this chapter? It might not get me all the way to the end, but it can get me one step closer. And as long as I know which direction I'm headed, I know which direction to step. If I don't know how my story ends, I could step anywhere and it's going to feel correct, but I have no idea if I'm getting anywhere closer. But with the, with the ending in mind, when we consider the ending, when we consider our journey so far and we consider where we are in the context of the beginning and the end. It makes it very clear to know, what do I do in this chapter? What do I do right now that's going to get me closer to that finish line, closer to the ending that God has written for me? Thank you for listening to the Family Life Christian Center podcast. We hope this message left you feeling encouraged, equipped, and empowered to fulfill your highest calling in Christ. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave us a review and share us with your friends. That is a simple but significant way that you can help us spread the word about what we're doing here. And if you would like to support our mission financially, we would be honored if you would consider partnering with us through your giving. If you'd like to make a donation to Family Life, you can use Venmo or Zelle to the email address info at familylife.cc. You can also text any amount that you would like to give to the number 84321. If you would like more giving options or you would like to plan a visit or learn more about our church, please visit our website at familylife.cc. We would also love for you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at familylifecc. Thanks again for listening and God bless.